in connection with the sermon on uh, Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism, we have two scripture passages we will read. We invite you to take your Bibles and open God's Word with first in the if Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, and then in Paul's Peter's second letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. We start reading in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We will continue in uh, Second Peter, uh, chapter one, start reading in verse three. It speaks about the Lord Jesus, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten and that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thus far, the word of God.
This afternoon, uh, as mentioned, we begin uh, the third part of the Catechism, and that's called uh, our thankfulness. It's also called our sanctification. And this section of the Catechism deals mainly with the Ten Commandments and with prayer. Ten Commandments, Lord's Day 34, Lord's Day 44, and prayer, Lord's Day 45 to the end. But before Lord's Day 34, where the law starts, it begins with teaching us what true thankfulness, right? Thankfulness is the heading here, that's the chapter. It teaches us what true thankfulness is all about and what true thankfulness comes from and what it actually is. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 32 of Heidelberg Catechism. And you find that on page 548 of your book of praise. 548, Lord's Day 32 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Question answer 86. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and that he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Question 87, can those be saved who do not turn to God for their ungrateful, from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's part, this uh, part of our confession. As a song of response, we will sing from Psalm 119. I think the first stanza, 6 and 62. 6 and 62 of Psalm 119. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I indicated, with Lord's Day 32, we start the third part of the Catechism. It's called, if you saw in the heading on page 548, it's called our thankfulness. So from here on, your confession is going to talk about our good works. The things that we must do, the good things that we must do to show to God how thankful we are. I mean, we have finished the second part catechism that was about our salvation, our deliverance. And in, in that second part, starting in Lord's Day, uh, Lord's Day 6, 5 and 6, and then from here on, uh, in, in, we, we learned a whole lot of things about what Jesus did for us. And now we need to learn what me must do for him. When I put it that way, not many of us would 
have a big objection, I guess. But some of you might feel slightly uncomfortable when I say that. As if something does not sound quite right. And it's understandable. Because here, in this whole area, we are balancing, so to speak, on the fine line between the truth of the gospel and serious heresy. Something that's wrong. The truth is that this last section of the catechism is about things that we must do. That's true. Now, but the heresy that is so close to that is that it would mean that now we turn to the law because we are done with the gospel. As if God says, I have done my part, saved you by my grace. Now I take a step back and now it's your turn. That sounds like we're not quite there yet with the work of Jesus. But Jesus did on the cross. It sounds as if we need to add something. So are we now going to sneak in our own good works as necessary for salvation? No, we won't. And therefore it's good that your confession addresses this right away here in question answer 86 when, when it starts talking about good works. Because what is the first thing that it says here? We have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ without any merit of our own. Yeah? So that is stated clearly. That's beyond dispute, praise the Lord. But that does make it an urgent question. Why must we still do these good works? Well, the answer in, in 86 is, is really marvelous. We may think that from here on it's about us and what we have to do. But in the end, it's not. It's still about God's grace. But God's grace and the work of Jesus and it continues in the work of the Holy Spirit. So this afternoon we're talking about the gospel of good works out of thankfulness. Yeah, that's the, that's the message. The gospel of good works out of thankfulness. We first look at the origin of thankfulness. Where does your thankfulness come from? What's the root of it? And then we look at the purpose of this thankfulness. What does it serve? What, what are the results? Why do we do this? And then the third, the seriousness of thankfulness. Being thankful, doing good works, is serious business. So the gospel of good works are of thankfulness, the origin, the purpose, and the seriousness of all this thankfulness. So yes, indeed, congregation. I want to call it the gospel of good works. Now, you know what gospel means, right? Gospel means good news. So when we're talking about good works, the good things that we do, we are talking about good news. Joyful news, news to be happy about. And, and that has to do with the fact that these good works, these good things that we do, that they are connected with thankfulness. Now, why should we be thankful? Well, we know that. We are thankful for God's saving grace in Jesus' sacrifice. 
In other words, the message that we must do good works is indeed gospel, is good news, as long as we do not separate our good works from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And here it gets tricky. As I just mentioned, this whole topic of doing good works out of thankfulness can bring us very close to serious heresies. When does that happen? That happens when you do indeed separate your good works, the thing you do to please God, when you separate those from Jesus. Now, in the history of the church, many have stumbled and fallen at this point. Pelagians, Roman Catholics, Armenians... And it can easily creep into our own reformed thinking. Yes, we know we're saved by grace alone. But by nature, we all like to believe that that we must do something good on our own. You've got to do something. Why must we do good works? And then in our mind, such good works become quickly our each, the things that we do. Now it's our turn after Jesus finished his part. After the gospel of salvation comes the law of thankfulness. But let's be careful here. It's, 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 it's indeed about the good works that we must do. It's about the law by which God tells us how to live our holy life. Lost the 34 and, and, and the following. It's all about the Ten Commandments. A life in thankfulness. But keep your eyes open. We can get sloppy here in our thinking. Many have the idea that we must do good works because we are saved by the blood of Christ. We are to fulfill the law of God because of the gospel. And and on the one hand, you know, it's true. The cross of Jesus Christ has reconciled you with God. And that means that every day you may start with a clean slate. But if that will be the whole truth, if we could say nothing more We have forgiveness, clean slate, and there you go again. If that's all we can say, we will be the most miserable of all people. For for if I have forgiveness of sins, then yes, I must be thankful. And being, being, being saved by grace should give us a good motive, a good reason for doing good works. Definitely. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Having a good reason to do something does not mean that I am also able to do that. Having a good reason, a good motive for something is not enough to make me willing and ready to live for Him. I must do it by nature, I don't want to do it. And I cannot do it. Think of Paul's crying out in Romans 7. When I want to do good, the evil is right there with me. Wretched sinner that I am. It's the Apostle Paul. If Jesus would allow me to start with a clean slate today, but if he would not change my heart, I would be right back in the mess 
before it would be tomorrow. Imagine that after Lord's Day 3031, we would just find the law, just the law, that heard about salvation, and then without any interruption, just the law. We would be stuck. That would be God saying, I have granted you forgiveness in Jesus, now show me what you can do. Just try. Try again. Try again, and try again. Then the law would come after the gospel, but it would be disconnected from the gospel. We would get stuck in legalism, in moralism, or whatever you want to call it. You and I would not be able to do what God wants us to do. But brothers and sisters, the law of God does not come after the gospel. No, the law of God is gospel. In the confrontation with the commandments of God, I mean, we read the law every Sunday morning, right? In the confrontation with the law of God, we meet Jesus. Not first of all as the one who demands us to do certain things, but as the one who gives. We meet Jesus as the one who himself has fulfilled God's law. Jesus does not say, I did this for you, now I expect you to pay me back by doing this for me. On the contrary, Jesus says, I do everything, all by myself. I have not only redeemed you by my blood, to leave the rest up to you, I also renew your heart by my Holy Spirit. I'm not only saying you must do this, but I also make sure that you can do it, that you want to do it. Jesus does not just demand thankfulness. He'll give it to you. This, this is marvelous. This is awesome. How powerful is the gospel of salvation, the gospel of God's grace? We talk about our good works. But you know, thanks be to God, they are not ours. We don't do them. No, Jesus works them in us. His salvation doesn't stop halfway. No, Jesus is a complete Savior. And in Him you will find everything you need for your salvation. Everything. His cross at Golgotha shows His redeeming power. All my sin, all my guilt is taken away. That's great. But it's not enough. I mean, how do you go from there? How do you make progress? How do I become a new person with a new heart? If nothing is being done there, nothing will change. How do you get out of this vicious circle? But Christ continues his salvation. With his redeeming power, he goes from Golgotha to Easter, and from Easter to Pentecost. And there he obtained for us the life-giving spirit. Christ pours our heavenly, heavenly powers in your heart and life. He renews you to be his image so that you want what he wants, that you do what he does. That's where your good works come from. That's where your thankfulness comes from. Thankfulness appears in your life because he pushes his saving grace to the very end. This is the extent of your salvation. 
He requires you to be thankful because by the regenerating power of the Spirit, He gives you the willingness to be thankful, the desire to be thankful, the strength to be thankful. He does it all. He alone. Praise be to God for the power of His love. My brother, my sister, all this means that when you do things to praise God in your life, you can never brag about it. When you do things to, to please God in your life, you can never boast. All you can say is, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Doing good works is not a matter of adding something to the grace of God. You will never be able to add something to the grace of God. It means living entirely out of Jesus and out of the fullness of His redemption. Do you, do you recognize how incredibly wide and high and deep the saving grace of God is? His redeeming powers renews your heart and your life so that you reflect His love. Why must we do good works? Christ died for us on the cross. He took away the burden of God's wrath. That's wonderful. But if this would be it, the demand to be thankful would become unbearable and impossible. It also means that we would always have an excuse for not being thankful. Right? We just can't do it. We just can't. Lord, you may have the right to claim my life, but you ask something I can never do in my life. Your commandments are too burdensome in my life. But why must we do good works? Because Jesus Christ not only redeemed us by His blood, He also renews us by His Holy Spirit. So the excuse, the excuse that you could have, and say, yes, I'm saved by grace, by the blood of Jesus, and I would love to do good works, because I know I should, but I can't do it. That excuse is not valid. Think of what John writes in 1 John 5. His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And what overcomes the world? Only our faith. By faith you belong to Jesus Christ, your Savior. He sets you free from the power of the devil. And that includes your heart, your mind, your will. He works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. It has been Good Friday. And so I must do good works. It has also been Easter. I want to do good works. And then Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came. Now I can do it. Now, some don't like to put it that way. Because some are afraid that all this emphasis on God's absolute grace alone will make people careless and sloppy and holy living. Uh, they will say, sure, we need Jesus Christ. After all, his sacrifice on the cross is our salvation. But our good works do add value. They must. For if Jesus does everything, how would you get people to obey God's law? If Jesus does everything, how do you get people to do good works? Let me just say that greatly underestimate the life-changing power of God's grace. Just because God's grace is my 
salvation for 100%. Just because the work of Jesus Christ is all-embracing, I must and want and can do what God wants me to do. And there's no excuse. Why must we do good works? Because Jesus' grace is perfect and complete. It is so perfect, it is so complete, that He Himself works in me the desire to be good and the strength to do it. In Him alone is the origin, nowhere else. It, it is so important to see this. So important. My brother, my sister, it's so important to see this. When sermons put a lot of emphasis on faith in Jesus Christ alone and on God's grace alone, even some Reformed people might say, hang on, don't make it too easy for the brothers and sisters in the church. As if we don't have to do anything. That, that was literally said to me many, many years ago by an elder after I had a sermon like this about the grace of God. And, and, and he came to me after the sermon and he said, after the sermon, he said to me, I'll say, we don't have to do anything. We should obey God's law. What do we do as elders if we go in the congregation and, and we urge people to live obedient lives? You should be obedient, right? Don't stimulate an easygoing, a sloppy lifestyle. We have to obey God's commandments. But you've got, you got to recognize the wonderful height and the depth and the width, the amazing range of God's gracious salvation. Jesus does everything. He has been obedient unto death in our place. Now, are there no careless and sloppy Christians around? Oh, yes, there are. But that's not the result of this faith. It's the result of a lack of faith. The question answers 64. The catechism wonders about that too. That's earlier in the catechism. And then the question is, I think it's Logic 24, right? Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? Is the answer? The answer is no. Why not? Because it is, listen carefully, because it is impossible that those who have been grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. That's a double negative. It is impossible that true believers should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness, good works. We've read in Ephesians 2. We read about ourselves as dead people. Dead people made alive with Christ, saved by grace. And, and, and when that happened to you, what does that make us? And it says in verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. And in a sense about these good works, God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see it? Do you see it? In your life and in my life, good works are only possible by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the very origin of our thankfulness. And then our obedience turns out to be something that God has prepared for us to do. Indeed, we must do good works. We must, in a sense, how could we not? As we read in 2 Peter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That becomes even stronger when we think of the purpose for which Christ makes us thankful. 
He renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. Why does he do that? Why does he renew us to the point that we are going to be like him? His image, right? Be like him. Well, Jesus knows what the law of God is all about. It's not just legislation. Law of God is not just a list of what is forbidden, allowed, commanded. It's not a set of bylaws and regulations. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, and perhaps, hopefully, a few loopholes here and there. No, no. Jesus knows what the law of God is looking for. The law of God is looking for your love, perfect love, nothing less. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So yes, Jesus knows the law of God, but he also knows us. He knows how we are, weak and prone to stumble. And therefore, because he is driven, Jesus is driven by the law of perfect love, love for God, love for us, in his grace and mercy, he renews us by the Spirit, so that more and more we will be like him, so that we will be driven by the same law of love. And the purpose of it all is that we show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, says the Catechism. See, Jesus Christ seeks the honor and the glory and the praise of God the Father. But if he would have died for us without renewing us, the name of the Holy God would not be honored and praised in our lives. We would not be able to do that. We would not be able to flourish before God, to serve Him and praise Him in our good works. So again, why must I do good works? Because Jesus Himself does it in me and for me. By His Holy Spirit, He makes my whole life a sacrifice of love to God. And now I can do it. And I want to do it. I want to live my life to praise God. He moves me by the Spirit so that it becomes impossible for me not to display my love and thankfulness. The fire of love that burns in the heart of your Savior Jesus ignites the fire in your own heart. Recognize the power of what's going on. Do you remember what we confess in Lord's Day 12? It says that I present myself as a living sacrifice to God. But even more amazing, I don't offer myself. Jesus Christ overpowers me by his Holy Spirit. And he presents me as a living sacrifice. So that God may be praised by my whole life and everything in it. But Jesus also loves us. He also seeks your and my well-being when he renews us by the Holy Spirit. For his purpose includes also that we ourselves must be assured by our faith, by its fruit. That's the second thing of the purposes that are listed here. Be assured of your faith by the fruits of the faith. Jesus knows that we can worry and be anxious and insecure when it comes to our faith. Are you sometimes have that? No? Insecure, anxious about your faith? According to Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
So, so faith is that you trust and accept as true things you don't see. It's not so easy, is it? All that you have is words. Words that you hear, words that you read, and then your doubts are creeping in sometimes. What if it's not true? I believe in God, the Father, the Creator. I read about paradise and about the fall into sin. Is it really true? Did it really happen? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. But who can check that? None of us was there in Bethlehem. None of us was there at Golgotha or in Joseph's garden. Oh, yes, we read about it. But none of us has any evidence of Jesus' resurrection, right? I believe in the Holy Spirit. But none of us was in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Did we perhaps follow what Peter calls in 2 Peter 1 verse 16 cleverly devised myths? Who knows? We believe the forgiveness of sins. We believe the resurrection of the body. We believe everlasting life. But can anyone give me any proof for that? Is there anything beyond the written word and the proclaimed word? That's a tricky question. You must say no. There's nothing beyond the word. Because the word is your only ground, your only source of knowledge. That's correct. At the same time, you can say, yes, there is. There is more evidence. Your faith in the word of God may find assurance in what that faith is doing. and what the effects are, and what it produces. It's amazing. Sinful people who don't care about God, renewed by the Holy Spirit, are showing thankfulness by doing the things that God wants them to do. You can see the changes. Now, if you've grown up in the Reformed Church, you may not always experience that as a big change. But talk to people, talk to people who come from whatever they come in their lives, and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and come to know the Scriptures, and come to know the Gospel, and they will tell you how fundamentally it changes their lives. In the Bible, God tells us about paradise. The glorious perfection of the beginning. It's hard to believe. But in your own life, you may see the beginning of new obedience. In your own life, you may see a recreation that makes you want to be righteous, that makes you want to be holy. In the gospel, God proclaims salvation through Jesus Christ. So embrace Him with a believing heart, and you will experience the redeeming power of His grace. You're longing to live for Him, to obey Him and rejoice in Him. Praise God. He lets you recognize your good works as visible fruits of your faith. No, they're not perfect yet. Your good works as fruits of faith, they're not perfect. And you and I know that very well for ourselves, not by far. But what you do see, let it assure you. What I believe without seeing it is real. That's why it is so important, as Peter urges us to do, what we've read in 2 Peter 1, to add to your faith virtue, 
to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control steadfastness, to steadfastness godliness, to godliness brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection love. So you keep working on that, right? You keep working on that in your life. And it's important to do that. But it's also encouraging. It's also assuring. For, as Peter goes on, if those qualities are yours and increasing or growing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in knowing your Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the love of Jesus as it comes to you in your own good works? We must do good works. Why is that? Because Jesus loves you so much that he wants to assure you of the truth of the things you know by faith. Things you know by faith, but you don't see. And there's one more thing. This Jesus, when he renews you to be his image, he also thinks of people around you, your neighbors, the world we live in. And that's the third purpose that the Catechism lists here. By your good works, as an act of thankfulness, Jesus wants to prove the power and wisdom of his grace to the world in which we live. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.22, that in the eyes of the world, the cross is a symbol of weakness and foolishness. Yeah? And what about the good works in your life? What about your lifestyle and your choices you make? Your neighbors, the people around you, the world we live in, people in your school, the people at your workplace, wherever it is. Do you see the image of Jesus in you? Do you see the image of Jesus' love and compassion when they look at you and when they hear you? Do they see in your life that the gospel is the power of God's grace? Here's the idea. Every good work that you and I do is evidence, not of what we are capable of. Every good work that you and I do is evidence of the love of God is capable of in your life. Good works, godly walk, holy life, new life, whatever you want to call it, it all proves that the word of the cross is not foolish, but powerful, effective, life-changing. Why must I do good works? Because in this way, Jesus himself shows the life-changing power of the cross, God's love, God's grace, for everyone who turns to him in faith. And, and, and just because doing good works out of thankfulness is such a clear demonstration, not of our capabilities, but of the height and the depth of the love of God, therefore, it becomes so utterly serious. Thankful living is serious business. For only this great love of God opens God's glorious kingdom for sinful people. That means that we should not forget that the opposite is also true. Those who reject God's love in Jesus will find the kingdom closed. Can those be saved who stubbornly refuse to repent and turn to God? That's question 87. And the answer is clear. Because the Bible is very clear on that. 
No, they cannot. By no means, it says. That sounds pretty strong. There's no second guessing. There's no ifs and buts. It's out of the question. There's no exception. No unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, of course, that's not an exhaustive list. Here's the point. The gift of our good works, out of thankfulness, is evidence of the redeeming and life-changing power of God's grace in Jesus. This is your access to God's kingdom, the power of God's grace in Jesus. If you don't want to repent, if you do not turn to the holy God and, and away from sin, so you've, you refuse the grace of God, you refuse the gift of good works by grace of God, and you show that in your life, the way you make your choices, you show contempt for the redeeming and renewing power of Christ. When you do that, you offend, you hurt God's deep love in Jesus. That is scary. For the consequences will be disastrous. You place yourself outside of God's kingdom. You will not be saved. That's the message of elders who go around in a congregation and make visits and challenge people on their lifestyle. Yeah? Not because you don't have to do this and this differently, but does the, faith, does the love and the grace of God work in your life? Do you embrace the saving grace of God in your life? That's the question. And, and, and the next question is, what do you do with that? I mean, God is not unfair when he requires of you and me that what we cannot do or something like that. No, God expects from us what he himself makes possible because he renewed us by the Holy Spirit. And again, what do you do with that? What's your response? You can decide to refuse the love of God. Yes, you can. You can decide not to be thankful. You can say to God's grace, thanks, but no thanks. That makes it dangerous in the church. Showing your thankfulness in holy living is serious business. None of us can ever say to God, yeah, there are all kinds of bad stuff in my life because that's how I am. I can change myself. And God will say, indeed, you can change yourself. But I can change you. In the Bible, I told you not only about Good Friday and forgiveness, but I also told you about Pentecost and renewal and the work of the Spirit. And therefore, as Paul says in Romans 6, you must consider yourselves dead to sin. And therefore, let sin no longer reign in your mortal bodies. After all, we have been brought from death to life. Yes, we sin. We make mistakes. Yes, we fail. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we fall. But let sin no longer reign in your mortal bodies. That's different. Why must we do good works? We must do them because we can do them. And we love doing them. You have been renewed by the image of, to be the image of Christ. 
That's a huge change. That's an entirely new beginning. Recognizing the law of God, the gospel of love. The gospel of God's love for sinners who find themselves in Jesus. And then you can sing with Psalm 119, In your commandments I take great delight, and in your law I find my greatest pleasure. So don't let yourself be ruled by the power of sin. You don't have to, because you're no longer just a victim. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to the grace of God. And by His Holy Spirit, He renews you. So bear the image of Christ anytime, anywhere. You can do it. For if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Amen.